0: Toyota Motor Company has said that it will invest $10 billion in the United States over the next five years, and Bob Carter is the president of Toyota North America. He joined us for a discussion of the all-new updated Camry, the outlook for sedans, and also being positioned for the presidential transition.
2: The new Camry is a vehicle that we're very proud of. This is the eighth generation since we introduced it uh, originally back in 1983, but this is a, a this is a unique Camry for us. Uh, we've done this entire car completely. It has a new platform, new powertrains, new body, new interior, and all the new technology that, that, uh, that we have developed over the years is all comes together in this eighth generation car. Uh, really proud of it. We've done two executions of the Camry. There's one that's very sporty. And there's one that's very luxurious. So uh, depending on uh, what the consumer's preference is, and we're announcing it here for the first time globally in in, uh, in the Detroit uh, Auto Show, but it will be available at our dealerships later this summer.
1: So why is Toyota focusing on a Camry, which is a midsize, smaller mid-size vehicle, when the trend is re- really moving toward light trucks?
2: The story of, uh, of- 2016 was was light trucks and and light trucks happens to be an in, uh, more of an industry slang. What's really most popular right now is car-based SUVs or CUVs um, like our Rav and like our our, our Highlander. However, the s- sedan market is still. A extremely large and important part of the business.
1: How big of a part of business is it for you? It's about,
2: well, the industry itself, it's about 2.5 million units, and Camry is the number one vehicle not only in that segment, but it's the number one selling passenger car in the U.S. for 15 consecutive years. What about for Toyota? It's, it's by far our number one volume vehicle. And uh, we have a 4 you Are you inch-
0: looking at over 400,000?
2: Uh, we did 388,000 last year, and so we're looking at uh, similar sales going into 2017. One of the things I think it's going to be interesting to watch, because we've seen this over the years, is the mid midsize sedan segment hasn't had a lot of innovative product, new product coming in. So this year we're, we're launching the best Camry that we've ever built, full of new technology. This vehicle, it's so sophisticated that even if a, a pedestrian walks in front of the vehicle, it will actually apply the brakes and assist the driver of steering around it. So, it's automatic braking, which is available in the market, but by we've developed ours that it can actually uh, sense soft tissue and help avoid avoid accidents. Uh, there's rumors that perhaps there's going to be a, a, a competitors will bring be bringing their cars to market later this fall. So, we have seen in the past. In small pickup trucks, we've seen it in, in uh, subcompact cars. When new vehicles come with new styling, new design, new technology, um, there's life comes back into that segment. So we we think that the uh, the segment that did decline last year will will plateau, and who knows, perhaps even show a little growth next year.
0: Bob, we're operating, it seems, at least in the automobile industry or any big manufacturer, in a different world. Uh, Come January 20th, there will be a new president. Uh, Donald Trump uh, has certainly taken to the Twitter sphere in order to voice uh, his particular uh, perspective on where automobiles are made. Do you feel, as an auto executive, that you are living in a different time than you were, let's say, 12 months ago?
2: Yeah. Well my quick answer to that, Tim would be it's a little bit early to tell, but the global the, the auto industry is very much a global industry. We have 53 plants that are currently operational in 28 um, countries around the world. Ten of those plants are here in the US. But the supply chain is very, very much global. The Camry that we were talking about earlier, um, cars.com has now for four years, named that the most American car consumers can buy. And what what they calculate that on is where are the parts sourced, where is the labor sourced. And by their calculation, 75% of the Camry is American sourced. The reverse of that though is we still, because of the global supply network, uh, do source 25% of a Camry across the world. So it's very much a global industry uh, the supply chains are very long and so we're working we look forward to working with the new administration to get them to understand the complexities of our industry
1: what's your number one fear for this year as far as political interference with the auto industry
2: uh, I, I wouldn't characterize it as a as a fear we we are very confident this year the economy is very good the uh, there were 17.5 million cars sold in the u.s last year uh, we believe it's going to be lower in 2016 but we're forecasting a market between 17 17 17.2 so the economy is very robust right now we think uh, we think it's going to be another good year
1: that was bob carter president of toyota north america speaking with us yesterday about the updated camry as well as the outlook for sedans and uh, the potential uh, for political interference or perhaps lack thereof There are hearings going on right uh, now at Capitol Hill. Jeff Sessions uh, is looking to be confirmed as attorney general and John Kelly, uh, president-elect Trump's pick for homeland security. I want to bring in Nancy Agnanovich. She's a Capitol Hill reporter for Bloomberg BNA in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to get your sense of so far what we've learned. I believe Jeff Sessions uh, is still being grilled.
3: Well, this is only the beginning of his two-day hearing process. Um, They'll be meeting at um, Judiciary for two days in a row to look at his qualifications. I think he's one of the people who's already got all of his financial information in and has complied with those requirements. The con- and so he's covered there in terms of fulfilling the- those requirements, but I guess there are concerns about his very conservative uh, philosophy. Uh, concerning immigration and other issues, and so there'll be a lot of questions there. And so,
0: I was going to say, could you just outline for us how many how many uh, hearings are going to be held today, and then tomorrow, and then on Thursday, just so we have an idea of how packed the schedule is this week?
3: Well, overall, we're looking from 12 to 15, depending on how you calculated. But today we have those three hearings, including two that you mentioned. Then tomorrow, Wednesday, there were six that were scheduled, but um, Senator Schumer, the minority leader, just a little bit ago this morning, announced that he's negotiated a plan with Majority Leader McConnell to reduce that down to three on Wednesday and to push some of those off till Thursday and next week. And then on Thursday, we have another five to six hearings. So there are a lot, and a lot of these deal with President-elect Trump's um, national security team. And McConnell wants very much to get six to seven of the Cabinet picks or national security team members confirmed by Inauguration Day in order for him to have that in place when he goes into the White House. Nancy, is this
1: typical, this type of packed confirmation schedule?
3: Well, uh, Senator McConnell has said repeatedly that on the very first day of the Obama administration, They confirmed seven people. But I think what Democrats are saying is those people um, already had their FBI cabinet, I'm sorry, FBI background checks done, their financial disclosure disclosure forms in, and all these other requirements. And a lot of people who Trump has proposed to nominate haven't complied with that so far. And that's one of the reasons why Democrats want to slow this process down. And then they also are saying that, unlike in the Obama administration, we're looking at many billionaires or otherwise very, very wealthy people who have very complicated financial holdings that require more examination. And also, many of these people have never served in government before, especially not at this kind of level.
0: Rex Tillerson, uh, former chief executive of ExxonMobil, slated to be the nation's top diplomat, how contentious or how confrontational do you believe those hearings will be?
3: Well, Democrats will obviously raise a lot of questions about his relationship with Vladimir Putin and his dealings with Russia over the years. And I guess the primary question is whether he can put aside maybe his friendship with Putin to look out for the interests of the United States as this country's top diplomat. So I think there will be some contentiousness there.
1: So Nancy, from your perspective, I mean, so far, what is the tenor of the questions been like? I mean, is it mostly just political grandstanding, or uh, are, are the questions really probing and substantive um, and uh, trying to get to some kind of comfort with who we have?
3: There's always political grandstanding, but I think there are legitimate concerns about um, some of these nominees, financial holdings and trying to get a look at that in order to identify potential conflicts of interest Um, when a person is in charge of a department um, with billions of dollars in funding going out to different industries. And you can't really look for potential conflicts of interest if you haven't seen the paperwork yet. So I think they're trying to slow it down. I think Democrats know that it's very unlikely that they can derail many of these nominees, but they want to have a chance to do what they call the advice and consent role that the Senate has traditionally done before they let them advance, before they're actually put to a vote on the Senate floor.
0: Thank you very much for joining us, Nancy. Ognanovich, Capitol Hill reporter for Bloomberg BNA, joining us from Washington, D.C., We're broadcasting from the 2017 North American International Auto Show. And Lisa Abramowitz, do you know that Cadillac is going to launch a $1,500 a month luxury car subscription service?
1: Do you get a new car every uh, month coming in the mail?
0: Well, you might be able to, particularly since we're going to be talking now with the president of Cadillac, Johan Deni- Nason, Thank you very much for being here. Tell us about this new subscription service. What's it aimed at and why are you, uh, why are you launching this?
4: It's called Book by Cadillac and really is a response to uh, what is a very dynamic environment within which the auto industry is doing business today. If we look at the emergence of the mega cities around the world, um, these cities were initially enabled by the principle of individual mobility. But the principle has become so successful that it's resulted in congestion and noise and pollution and all the things that are big obstacles to vehicle ownership. Um, One response to that is the emergence of ride-sharing services like Lyft and Uber and uh, those certainly will probably continue to gain traction and living in New York I can tell you that uh, we face significant barriers to operating vehicles so we as That's the or- a
0: diplomatic.
4: I mean way
1: honestly, of- I've <laughs> driven down a one-way street with three bike riders coming at me and you know another person walking out in front. This is this is what you're talking about with challenging.
0: So it's
4: it's it's like one benefit of living in the city. I, I experience it firsthand. And what we want to do is to make sure that we are part of the world that does the disruption and we don't end up being disrupted. And so we need to respond to a changing world, and we know that for affluent customers. Flexibility, convenience, time has value. And uh, we thought, why should we follow only the conventional model of business ownership? Where well, you ride at a check, buy the car, park it in your garage for 94% of the time, and that's kind of it. Surely there must be an opportunity to respond with greater flexibility.
1: So is this basically like uh, a new version of having a personal driver?
4: Not quite, no. You will continue to drive the car yourself, but, of course, this is a precursor to full autonomous driving capability, in which case that's no longer a point.
1: Is that the point of this, though, partly? I mean, It's a build up to
4: it. Yes, yeah, so in other words, it's,
1: it's basically training people yeah. to uh, have, call, uh, have cars on call rather than having ownership and uh, being able to have that car brought to them. And for now, they'll drive it, but maybe in three years they won't.
4: But precisely right. So it's a setup for the future that we see a little bit beyond just... The, the, the definition of the product substance today and uh, what this really book means is that you buy into a Cadillac experience, a luxury experience that's fully immersive, it's not tied to any individual vehicle, it gives you flexibility to change your car 18 times a year, so more than once a month and if today you feel like a sports car, tomorrow uh, it's a night out in the town in a luxury automobile and then you want to go skiing, you need a SUV, you can have all of those. And as we expand the program, we're starting off in New York, but conceivably, let us say you go to LA for a week and you need a car there, well, you take your book by Cadillac in LA, you don't have to rent a car anymore. So it's about convenience, it's about flexibility, all maintenance, insurance is taken care of, you always have a, a car that's clean and fully gas delivered to your doorstep, and uh, all of that convenience and flexibility we think has value for affluent consumers.
0: Now you have experience at Infinity as well as Audi, and I'm wondering what you are bringing to Cadillac, particularly to the dealership network, because there's a big effort on the part of Cadillac to really upgrade and streamline and stabilize the dealership.
4: A real thing for us is we uh, are on a, a long-term journey, I would have to say, to restore Cadillac, what we kind of loosely call uh, to the pinnacle of premium, back to that world where it occupied this position as the unquestioned standard for the world. In it's terms called
0: of, Project Pinnacle. It's
4: called Project Pinnacle, for that reason. And while we are working very hard on expanding the product portfolio and really creating top technology cars with great craftsmanship and, and, and uh, great technology, That's only part of the question that needs to be answered. We also need to look downstream at the overall ownership experience. And yeah, our dealer network plays a crucial role because it's the environment within which the customer engages the brand. And um, the quality of our dealer network um, also needs to reflect our premium aspirations. And to be clear, we have some really outstanding dealers that do an Herculean task in terms of elevating the overall brand experience. The reality for us though is we also have a very large dealer network and uh, the variability in the overall uh, uh, delivery of that experience is something that we are trying to get into a narrower distribution and uh, Project Pinnacle is designed to set around brand standards uh, for our dealers in terms of uh, that customer experience which we then reward with ever increasing financial bonuses uh, as they reach increasing compliance.
1: Johan de thank you so much for being with us. It's truly uh, a fascinating uh, development the idea of trying to create a precursor to what the inevitable will be. Johan de uh president of Cadillac, talking about the new car subscription service in New York City, which may uh, really be the stepping stone to uh, the new version of auto lack of ownership. Just avoid the
0: bicycles when you drive.
1: I, I, I'm trying. My dad tells me. This is Bloomberg.
0: We're broadcasting from the 2017 North American International Auto Show. Earlier, we got a chance to sit down with uh, Joe Hinrichs. He is the president of the Americas for Ford. Talked about the new F-150 pickup, the electrified vehicle lineup at Ford, plus investments in new jobs in Michigan, and the Donald Trump effect. The first question we wanted to know was what the importance is of the F-Series is
5: to Ford. You know, when you when you start with our business in North America, it, it starts with F-series. Over 30% of our volume in North America is our F-series trucks. F-series trucks have been the best-selling vehicle in the United States for 35 years consecutively. The best-selling trucks for 40 years. So, uh, it's a big part of our business. Uh, obviously, we're expanding beyond that. Into all kinds of other parts of the business, but it's, it's safe to say the crown jewels of Ford Motor Company in North America are the F Series trucks. And of course, we got to announce the 2018 model year F 150 is getting some upgrades and uh, a freshening, which is always very exciting to talk about.
1: Whenever we talk about Car companies at this point in the political uh, trajectory. We have to uh, talk about President elect Donald Trump. Uh, Less than a week ago, Ford canceled plans for a $1.6 billion plant in Mexico. Uh, You have to think it has to do somewhat with President elect Trump's rhetoric. Will this cancellation material affect? the production of any particular vehicles and do you expect less of production of certain types of vehicles because of the political pressure right now
5: yeah so you know it's a hot topic at the moment to to be sure i mean we took a look at the end of last year where small car sales were going in the u.s and and did some updated projections where they're going to be in the future and we reached a point where we felt comfortable enough that we could fit the focus volume that we forecast for 2018, 19, 20 and beyond into an existing manufacturing capacity plant we have in Hermosillo, Mexico. That was the big driver of the decision. Uh, and because in our, in our business, capacity is everything. It's such a, a billion dollar plants are a big deal. Capacity utilization is everything. And when you can get new capacity into existing plants a lot cheaper than building a new plant. Even though we were pretty far along on starting the, uh, the new plant, the cancellation of that, the movement of focus into Hermosillo, and then investing some of that money into an expansion of our plant here in Michigan to produce two new products, that saved us about $500 million of capital. Um, and that was the big driver of the decision. I know the timeliness of this um, leads to a lot of other questions, but. But it, you know the, the ability to be able to forecast lower small car sales, that's what's been happening in the US, really was the main driver.
1: So do you think that Ford will make any changes to its future plans as a result of the current political climate and sort of the focus on American produced goods?
5: You know, well, we are taking into account what we expect to be some uh, pro-growth initiatives by the Trump administration, including some taxation policy discussions, hopefully some improvements in the competitiveness of the U.S. economy when it comes to corporate tax rates and some other things, regulatory and the like. So as you never say one factor really drives a decision, There's a, in our business, so many things get taken into account when you're making investments the size of what we make. But we are taking into account some expected changes into the, into the um, you know, regulatory and economic cycle in the US. You asked the question about production. We're, not, we're still moving focused production to Mexico. It won't, won't be any production kind of missed by all of this. It's just making sure that we spend the right amount of money to do it.
0: Give our listeners an idea of Ford's business in North America and Ford's business overseas. It uh, may surprise people.
5: Yeah, well, in North America, we're the second largest uh, manufacturer of, and seller of vehicles. We actually produce more vehicles in the United States than anybody else, we employ more workers and manufacturing workers in the U.S. than anybody else. We're number one in Canada. Uh, we're second in the U.S. in sales, number one in Canada for sales, and we're you know, fifth or sixth in Mexico, depending on what, uh, what time of the year we are. And our business in total in North America is over three million units. Uh, Ford globally has a strong presence of course in Europe, a strong presence now in China. Uh, we're now on the top six, five or six na- uh, brands in China. Uh, we have a strong presence in Brazil and South America. We're third or fourth or fifth, depending on what market, second in Argentina, but we're depending on what market you're looking at. And when you look at our business, the, the, the majority of our revenue comes from North America, the majority of our profits come from North America, but we certainly have a strong presence all around the world.
0: What's the weakest market right now?
5: Well, it's hard to define weakest market. Probably the most challenged market uh, would be Brazil. Given the economic and uh, political challenges that the country faces, the auto industry in Brazil has collapsed about half where it was a few years ago. That puts a lot of pressure on our business. Also, the uncertainty and the political challenges that they've had. We've seen some progress lately with President Temer and some things that have happened. But Brazil is certainly challenged, and the Indian market in India has not grown to the level people thought it was going to grow. And there's a lot of pressure to, uh, on that business as well.
0: That was Joe Hendricks. He is the president of the Americas for Ford.